The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome, Disability Law Show. Skulls here and Savannah Tamarkin taking your emails and your questions. You know how to do that. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address. Anytime, one 821 5900 Toll-free number always. And you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. We will make reference to and be using that website throughout the show uh, today for sure. That is a place where you ask your disability questions, a searchable database, which is an excellent feature. You can look to see if your question has been asked already. If not, leave it there. If it has, read the response. It'll probably fill your need. And again, if not, just leave the question there, and a member of uh, Savant's team will answer it really quickly, mydisabilityquestions.com. Got to get to some emails right away, but first got a few other matters to take care of, pal, what uh, what do you got off the hop? Hey, John. Uh, you know, as everybody knows, we are still in this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not getting any better anytime soon, unfortunately. I di- I do think that you know, with the vaccine discussions on the horizon, you know, this thing will uh, you know w- will get better. There's going to be light at the he- you know at the end of the tunnel. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I'm I'm focused on, and I hear a lot about from listeners, is about um, getting denied long-term disability. Uh, in relation to mental health issues and uh, mental disorders, psychological issues, etc. And, you know, we've talked before on this show, John, about the psychological toll that COVID-19, the pandemic, the restrictions, social isolation, and all, all the rest of that taking on Canadians. And it's, again, it's not getting any better anytime soon. And so, you know, when I do my research about the topics for the show and and what's going on out there, I came across an article which was a little disturbing to me from the Science Times. And this is an article uh, from a few days ago. And the title is Coronavirus Survivors Twice as Likely to Develop Mental Disorders. And that's a study that came out of the States. And uh, and so there are statistics here about, you know, the, the mental disorders that they're seeing. Uh, and, and, you know, this jives with what we've been discussing in terms of the impact of COVID-19, coronavirus, isolation, and all the rest on individual psyche. Now, why is this relevant? It's relevant because when people apply for long-term disability as a result of a mental disorder, as a result of a psychological issue, be it depression, uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, phobia, any of those kinds of diagnoses, Insurance companies, unfortunately, are denying people legitimate claims. People who are unable to work at the present time, uh, as a result of these conditions, they are being denied long-term disability, and they should not be. They should not be. There is nothing in these long-term disability policies that says that if you suffer from a mental illness, mental disability, injury, etc., that disables you from working especially when you have a doctor or a psychologist or someone treating you who confirms that you're unable to work, uh, there's no reason why the insurance company denies these kinds of claims. And I have seen the most flimsy of arguments from insurance companies, and it makes me mad. And, you know, when people call me and tell me this is a situation, I tell them, look, you have a case. You have a case. If you want to pursue it, I can force the insurance company to pay you what you're owed. And if you don't want to come to me, that's fine. We'll talk about your case. We'll ex- I'll explain to you the process. Go ahead and hire another disability lawyer if you want, another disability firm. But just don't walk away from the money that's owed to you. 
and, and John, again, many people out there who are listening to our radio show weekly, who are watching our TV program weekly, they understand this, and it may not be applicable to them. They might may be watching and listening just because, you know, they're, they're in the car or, or, you know, it's Saturday or Sunday morning. You may know someone. You may know someone who may need this information. I'm sure Lior, my partner, says the same thing about the employment law, the employment show that he does. And, and, you know, it's true. If you know someone who needs information and help about their long-term disability claim, please go to disabilityrights.ca, mm-hmm. contact me, contact a member of my team, and we'll talk to you at absolutely no cost. Again, the number to uh, reach out anytime, do so, one 821 5900 That's the phone number, toll-free, completely, help at disabilityrights.ca, the email, which we're going to get to here in a bit. Uh, what else is going on, pal? So let me tell you about an email that I received just this past week. Um, I- I'm not going to say the name of the insurance company that's mentioned in this email, but we deal with them quite a lot, uh, and I won't mention the individual who wrote me. But here's what he writes, and this is, this is a very serious email. He, he writes as follows. My wife has been on disability for almost two years. She went through breast cancer, uh, two surgeries, chemotherapy, and radiation. She's on medication, which makes her tired and forgetful. The family doctor says that she's not ready to go back to work. The insurance company, however, calls all the time, at least two to three times a week. They have her doing video calls for physiotherapy and and calls to get updates about her condition. Remember, John, this is two or three times a week, not a month. Uh, He continues writing, I took a call and told them to lay off. I explained um, what she has been through, uh, and, and she's sleeping, and she won't be able to take the call. Now, she was supposed to be returning back to work this month. However, the insurance company assigned someone else to assist her, and this person hired by the insurance company, told them to back off. This new person said that they have delayed her back-to-work date until February. Uh, And at this point, they want uh, my wife to get certain types of other treatments. My wife has 10 years of service with this company. Uh, The family doctor has even advised the insurance company to send her, the family doctor, any documents needed to be signed and not to send them to my wife because it stresses her out. Um, and then he writes, I advise my wife to, to contact you before we lose her benefits, her LTD benefits. Mm-hmm. I'm not confident that she will ever be able to go back to work. She suffers from headaches, stress from thinking about work, anxiety, fatigue, and everything else related to the cancer. Can you help? John, very oh. tragic. I, I can't even imagine being in this gentleman's shoes, you know, with my wife. I, it's just, it's, it's like a horror movie. And, and on top of everything that they're going through, on top of COVID... You know, know, this insurance company is doing what they're doing to her, you know, like creating this added stress. Why? There is no reason for that. There is literally no reason for that, for them to do this. It must be some adjuster who's just lost his marbles or just, you know, is on a power trip. Here's the thing. And this is what I told, uh, you know, this individual here. The insurance company cannot do whatever they want. They're not omnipotent. They don't have unlimited power. You as an individual who is an insured under one of these policies, you have certain rights. You also have certain obligations under the policy. Same thing for the insurance company. They have certain rights. They cannot harass you. They cannot be disrespectful to you. If they're asking for medical updates, those have to be reasonable. And what's reasonable, that depends on every case. But I can tell you, John... It's rare for me to see someone, to have someone tell me that they're, they're asking, being asked for updates multiple times a week. Just to give context here, generally when insurance companies ask for updates, it's once every few months. 
You know, I mean, a few times a week to me, that borders on harassment. I don't understand what the context here in terms of why the insurance company would need, you know, like what's going to change from today to tomorrow for a lady like this, you know, who's undergone two surgeries for breast cancer, had chemotherapy, radiation, etc. So, you know, to me, it almost seems like the insurance company is overtly trying to just shake them off claim, to, to, to make them tired, tired enough to walk away from money that's owed to them. Now, maybe that's not the case. Right? I haven't reviewed any correspondence from the insurance company here. I haven't talked to the adjuster. I don't know. I'm just looking at this from a common sense standpoint. Why would the insurance company need ongoing updates several times a week? It makes no sense to me. So, you know, I tell people out there, if you're not going to contact me, if you don't have any, I mean, if you have concerns, but you don't want to contact me, just make sure you document everything in writing with the adjuster. If you're giving a certain update, confirm that by email. If the adjuster is asking you for something or is doing something that you feel is harassment or bullying, you make sure to stand up for your rights. And if you can't do that for any reason, just contact me. Let me get the insurance adjuster off your back. But I want to make sure people understand, John, that when an insurance company acts like this, usually it's it's a prelude to something that they're thinking about doing, like cutting a person off benefits. Now, in this case here, Remember, they wanted her to go back to work now in the middle of this uh, of this pandemic with all the issues that she has, psychological, physical, etc. To me, again, that is insane, especially since the family doctor specifically says, no, she's not ready to go back to work. On this issue of going back to work, if you don't believe that you are ready to go back to work, and if your doctors agree with you that you're not ready to go back to work, and you've given those letters from the doctor to the insurance adjuster saying you're not ready at this point, you should not go back to work. You shouldn't. You should not do something that's going to hurt you. You should not go back to work against medical advice. To me, that's just insanity for the insurance company to ask that. And if the insurance company says, well, we don't care. If you don't go back to work, we are going to cut you off benefits. You call me immediately and let me intervene. Let a member of my team intervene. Oftentimes, we can get the insurance company to back off. And if we can't, we'll tell you what your options are. But you do have options. That's one thing that I want people to understand, John. People have options. You have a lot more power than you think you do. And I am not just talking as an insurance lawyer that goes after these insurance companies. I'm talking as someone who used to work for insurance companies in the past. I was on the receiving end. So understand that you have a lot more power than you think you do. Please, please don't fall into this trap. Okay, this mirage that these, these insurance companies, these insurance companies out there want you to believe that there is a power imbalance. Don't get me wrong, but the power imbalance is, is is there more because of your perception of their power as opposed to the real, uh, um, you know, power balancing uh, here. And, and when people don't understand what their rights are, then that power imbalance is even greater. As soon as you understand what your rights are. As soon as you understand that you can stand up for your rights and that the insurance company is simply bluffing, that's when they back off. They back off because it costs them more to fight you, especially, I mean, particularly if you have a legitimate claim. It costs them money. They don't want to do that. They are simply hoping that most people will simply walk away or get too tired to fight these kinds of claims, John. And this is this is what the myth that I want to dispel. Please, please, please understand you have more power than you think. You know, I know we got a break in a minute here, but this is this is beyond the the type of thing where you just ask for a different caseworker or adjuster. It's gone way beyond that, right? Like this, there's there's no hope here, right? You can ask for a new adjuster. I I tell people, listen, if you yeah. feel your adjuster is being unfair, bullying, harassing, whatever, no, you should not stand for that. Ask the manager for a new adjuster, and if they don't give you a new adjuster, complain to the ombudsperson. And right. if that doesn't work, conf- first of all, confirm everything in writing. 
everything should be confirmed right. and tell your doctors how much stress the adjuster is creating for you because we want this reflected in the medical records if you are being stressed if your physical and mental progress is being hampered and impeded make sure your doctors are aware we, you want to make sure that it's reflected in their clinical notes and records because if and if you have to start a legal claim against them we're going to be going after the insurance company not just for what they owe you but also for extra contractual damages, punitive damages, to force the insurance company to pay additional monies to you for all the stress and anxiety that they've caused you. Want to dip into the emails here soon and some other questions that have come through. First, we've got to take a wee break. In the meantime, toll-free number 1-855-821-5900. You want to have more of a... Uh Lengthy and, and private conversation with Savannah, or a member of his team. That's the number, one 821 5900 Email that we're going to use in a moment here, help at disabilityrights.ca. You can always go to mydisabilityquestions.com. As well, Disability Law Show right here on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Disability Law Show. Reaching out anytime at all, uh, 24-7. Really, really easy. Email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. The phone number toll-free, as always, 1-855-821-5900. And a wonderful resource for you. Again, anytime you'd like, mydisabilityquestions.com. Savannah, we just had one come through moments ago when we were on break uh, from mydisabilityquestions.com. People using the resource. So uh, let's get to it. What, is that, uh, what does it say? Absolutely, John. This one comes from uh, Michelle in Milton, and here's what she writes. My insurance company is asking me to fill out uh, CPP disability forms. Can I refuse and still request them to continue to pay me my LTD? The answer is this. You can certainly uh, refuse to apply for CPP disability if the insurance company asks you, but keep in mind something. And again, this is something we've spoken about before. Uh, but it, it's a common question, so keep asking if you don't know the answer or, uh, you know, if, if, if you need more information, just let me know. Look, uh, most LTD policies require you to apply for CPP disability. And if you don't, the insurance company can take the position that you are in breach of your policy provisions by not doing what the policy says, which is to apply for CPP disability. Now, why does the insurance company want you to apply for CPP disability? Well, because they get a credit for any amounts you get from CPP. And so if you get paid, John, we use this example often, $2,000 a month for long-term disability payments, and you've been approved for CPP disability for $1,000 a month, you're not getting 1000 plus 2000 for 3000 you're getting still 2000 except the insurance company doesn't have to pay you the full 2000 because you're getting one grand of that from the government. So the insurance company obviously wants to get that credit, which is why they're telling you to apply. And many people seem to think that this is unfair. And I understand where they're coming from. And, and you know what generally I see happen when they don't apply for CPP disability is the insurance company generally doesn't cut you off LTD for that. Some Some of them do, and we can fight them on that. But some of them don't. What some of them do, these insurance companies, is they'll say, look, we told you to apply. The policy says you have to apply. You have not applied. We are going to estimate how much we think you should be getting from CPP disability, and we're going to lower your LTD amounts, uh, monthly amounts, accordingly by the amount that we've estimated that you should be yep. receiving. Mm -hmm. So either way, you're going to be in that same boat uh, you know, in terms of having your LTD uh, payments reduced. 
So I tell people, listen, apply for CPP disability. If you apply and you get denied, the insurance company has no right to then reduce your LTD monthly amounts. They simply don't. The policy doesn't allow them to do it. Uh, however, however, if you get CPP disability, yes, your LTD insurer gets a credit for that. However, uh, it's, it's arguably a tougher test to meet to get CPP disability than to get LTD. To get CPP disability, you have to demonstrate that you have a disability that is severe and prolonged. And so if you get that, at least to me, it seems like the insurance company is going to have a more difficult time in the future stopping your LTD benefits by arguing that you're not disabled because CPP disability, the government has deemed you disabled from working. Right. Plus, if they do cut you off, remember, you're now still getting CPP disability. It doesn't That's affect right. your CPP disability. So you have an income source coming your way while we fight the LTD insurer. So that's why I tell people, look, you don't have to apply for CPP disability, fill out the forms and send them, but you are potentially going to compromise the amount of money that you are going to be getting monthly going forward because the insurance company will most likely reduce your LTD amount if you refuse to apply for CPP disability. So that's the answer. I mean, there's a lot more that I can talk about with respect to CPP disability, but, but that's sort of my, my you know, the, the focus of my answer here, which is that you should apply for CPP disability if your disability is indeed severe and prolonged. Yeah, there's really no downside to it. I mean, you know, I said refusal in a few minutes to fill out the forms and, and get some help with that, but that's about it. You might as well just go you should def it, right? Yeah, you should definitely apply. And and like I said, you know, people sometimes when they don't apply, well, then the insurance company reduces their, their LTD amounts or even cuts them off. And then people contact me and, you know, we sort of have to undo a bit of the mess. I mean, we can still help you if that happens. But again, the advice is, uh, you know, apply for CPP disability if, in fact, your disability is severe and prolonged. There is no downside vis-a-vis -vis the insurance company. Carry on. It's uh, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And again, that was from mydisabilityquestions.com. That's a free and uh, easy-to-use resource for you to ask your questions to Savannah and a member's team. Or the email address is help at disability rights, which is uh, where I think we're going to go right now. Get to the uh, the first email of the day. This one, uh, Savannah, comes from Dylan. Says, hey, guys, I've been working in IT for about five years. I had a health and dental coverage. Uh, I, I knew I had health and dental coverage through work. When I had to stop working last year due to my back, my HR department helped me uh, with the forms to get short-term disability benefits. But I was never told I also had coverage for LTD. I didn't know there was even uh, deadlines to make an application. The long-term disability insurer recently declined my claim because I applied three months too late from their deadline. Is there something I can do? Yes, Dylan, uh, there is. And this does happen occasionally when through inadvertence or because of extraordinary circumstances, you know, people are uh, a little late in making the application for long-term disability and the insurance company takes a, a very technical position and issues a very technical denial on the basis of a missed application deadline. Now, look, we talk here on the show quite a lot about how you know, if you get denied long-term disability, you have two years from the date of first denial to start a legal claim. I would never tell someone to even test that because, again, if you are beyond that two-year mark, uh, you know, that is statutory. That is by legislation. Uh, in Ontario, it's a Limitations Act. Every province has legislation that deals specifically, uh, you know, with this with this kind of, of an issue, with limitations of actions uh, through the legal process. So, no, you don't want to test that. But in this case here, we're not dealing with a limitations issue vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, you know, the, the legal process. 
we are talking about making an application to the insurance company. Right. And there is something that we often argue in these kinds of cases called relief from forfeiture. Mm-hmm. It's a technical term. Uh, no need to get into uh, what exactly uh, it, it means from from a legalistic technical standpoint. Except to say that uh, you know courts understand that sometimes if you have people that are not in full compliance with the terms of the contract of the policy, like for example missing a an application date, uh, you know it, this is not something that in many instances courts will allow insurance companies to get away with, but you know by not paying just because the person was a few days or a few weeks, maybe even a few months late, uh, you know in, in applying. And I remember a case, by the way where I had a gentleman, this was a more severe case, who suffered two severe strokes. And in fact, he had powers of attorney. His son was a power of attorney. And it it was a year after the deadline to apply for LTD that they actually contacted the insurance company. And the insurance company refused to pay because they said, look, you're one year too late. And of course, I got involved. I didn't even have to start a legal claim. I just wrote a very comprehensive letter explaining this whole relief from forfeiture issue and explaining the circumstances surrounding the missed application deadline. And I said, look, it's really quite simple. If you don't pay my my client, the disabled client, what he's owed, I'm going to start that legal claim and I'm going to show to a judge, to a court, exactly what happened here. Uh, Of course, this was a comprehensive letter. I'm not going to go through the details here. Uh, But I can tell you that we didn't even have to start a legal claim. The insurance insurance company backed off, they capitulated, and they paid everything under the case. And we're talking about a six-figure payment. Wow. So, Dylan, I will tell you this. I need to understand a bit more about your circumstances, but I can tell you in many, many instances, when people are a little late with applying for LTD, not for starting legal claim, but for applying for LTD, and the insurance company says, no, you're too late, we're not going to pay you. And by the way, John, I've seen those situations happen with, when a person was one day late, where the insurance company says, no, it's, you're one day late, we're not going to pay you. Come on, that's insanity. That's crazy. How is the insurance company prejudiced by a person not applying by you know within a day or a week or, or a month of, of the deadline? I mean, I'm not saying people should not comply with these deadlines, but like, we've got to be reasonable here. We're talking about people who are disabled. We have these insurance policies there for a purpose. And if you're going to take such a hard-line position with these disabled individuals, I think that's simply unfair. And guess what? It's not just me thinking that and saying that. It's courts throughout Canada who have agreed with this position. Hence why we have this principle called relief from forfeiture. Feel free to Google it (laughs) if you want to understand what that means exactly from a Latin standpoint. Uh, but Dylan, we can help you. Let's get in touch uh, with each other after the show. I want to see the denial letter. I want to understand more about your condition, the situation. And I do think that we will be able to help you. And I think that we'll be able to force your insurer to do what is right. Based on what his, uh, his email said, I'm assuming, is, is this always the case that the short-term disability provider and the long-term disability provider are different companies? Not always. Not always. In many instances, it's actually the employer who's actually paying short-term disability. They may not be the one managing the claim. They may farm that out to an insurance company, but it could be the insurance company that's actually managing the claim and the employer paying. It could be that the employer is the one managing too. It could be that you have no short-term disability, only long-term in which case you have to go on EI sick benefits or whatever the equivalent is in other provinces. Uh, Or it could be that you have one insurance company paying both STD and LTD. Every, every case is different, John. That's, that's the thing here. And this is why I tell people, 
this stuff can get very technical. So if you have questions, you contact us and we'll help you out. Or you go on our website to get this information. But you want to make sure you understand exactly where you fit in, especially when you get a denial, either from your employer or your insurance company. You do not want to simply believe that denial without checking out whether it's legitimate or not. So what do you think the most important piece of advice you can give someone who's, they're getting benefits right now, they're okay, but they, their spidey sense just tells them they're about to be cut off? Reach out to us. That is the absolutely most important piece of advice. And the reason is this. If your spidey sense tells you that something is going wrong with your insurer, maybe you've been on LTD for a few months or a year or two years or five years, and suddenly the insurance adjuster is taking more interest in your claim, they want to talk to you more often, they want you to be seen by one of their doctors or consultants, uh, you know, something is going on. They don't take interest in cases and start putting effort and resources in a claim unless they have now targeted that claim for some kind of an assessment, either to figure out if they should keep paying you or figure out if they think you should be going back to work. You know, you have to be very careful. That's why I tell people, you know, in terms of the most important piece of advice, document your communications with your adjuster. Uh, have a diary or do it on your computer. Confirm communications with the adjuster by email so that there's no ambiguity. And do it the same day. If you've spoken with your adjuster today and the nature of your discussion was this or that, confirm that discussion and the substance of it with the adjuster. It doesn't matter if the adjuster ends up responding or not. As long as you've actually sent out that email, there is now a record, a contemporaneous record, so that if half a year from now we have to get involved to help you, we can look back and say, aha, you know, John sent that email back then. This is what was said and what was done. I can guarantee you, John, that these adjusters, they don't do, they don't make notes like that. I mean, each one of them handles a ton of disability claims. So they don't have the time to put the effort and the attention in every file the way that an individual who's disabled is able to do it because it's their only file. It's themselves, right? It's their claim. So most important piece of advice, again, if your spidey sense is telling you that you may be cut off or there is something going on with your claim, reach out to us, have a chat with us. It costs you nothing. Or post your question on our website, mydisabilityquestions.com. We've used that once already, so you can use it anytime. By the way, it's there 24-7, and there's a searchable database on there, too, so your question may have been asked already. If not, leave it there, and the team will get to it. Again, it's mydisabilityquestions.com. Real simple. The numbers we go to break here to reach out, one 821 5900 Website, disabilityrights.ca. While you're there, you can search around for a location where you can find our long-running TV show as well, a 30-minute version, televised version of what we do here each week on the Disability Law Show on the on the small screen. And email help at disabilityrights.ca. Danielle just sent an email over. Daniela, we'll get to your email after a short break. This is the Disability Law Show, and it's on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back. This is the Disability Law Show. It's John Scholes hosting, as always, Savannah Tamark and doing all the heavy lifting, answering your questions and emails and all your correspondence through mydisabilityquestions.com. The phone number, too, uh, you want to call anytime after the show, one 821 5900 Just have a, a conversation 
and get some more information. Daniela, as promised, appreciate you hanging on with your email. Just sent it over. says, guys, I've been on leave because of depression for a, a bit more than two years, and my insurance company cut off my benefits a couple months ago. I just found out that I also lost my first appeal. I got a letter last week from my employer asking me when I'll be returning to work, but there's no way I can go back to work right now. My doctor and counselor have both told me I absolutely should go. I uh, should not go back until my condition improves. But I'm worried that if I don't go back, my employer is going to fire me. If I appeal again, will that stop my employer from firing me, at least until the appeal has been decided? Tons to unpack here. <laughs> tons, tons. Yeah. So, Daniela, let me start off by saying that uh, it, it's unfortunate you didn't reach out to me you know, when you were first cut off or when you first got noticed, you'll be cut off because we could have probably have potentially resolved your case already, uh, even though it was only two months ago. And I say this because we're able to resolve quite a few long-term disability claims at their infancy, just at the beginning. As soon as we get involved, the insurance company understands they now have to shell out money to defend these kinds of claims. They don't want to do that, so they take a second look, a serious look, not an appeal type of look, you know, a some fear to marking type of a look at a file. And what does that mean? Let me unpack that. When you appeal a long-term disability denial, you're simply uh, getting onto their merry-go-round. Okay, they are not interested in reversing their appeal. You're not appealing to a third party, to a judge, to an arbitrator. You're appealing essentially to the exact same people, the same company that cut you off in the first place. So they have no incentive, absolutely no incentive to, to reverse their decision. In fact, I think uh, our friend Terry Corcoran, if I'm not mistaken, John, had told us that in his experience, having done insurance, uh, on the, he was in the insurance side for over three decades, uh, most of the time, really, it was only at the third level of appeal that they would even start considering reversing these kinds of uh, of, of uh, decisions. Again, that's from his uh, recollection and experience. But the point is, I can tell you that Daniela's situation here is not uncommon in that when you appeal these denials, you are simply playing into the hands of the insurance company because they can just continue to deny you, deny you, and deny you. Okay. I remember, do you remember the movie, uh, John, uh, with Matt Damon, um, I forgot what it was called, but he was a lawyer and uh, he, he was dealing on behalf of, uh, of, of um, a very sick claimant that was, I think, uh, some kind of a critical illness policy. And I remember that they're in court uh, and, oh, uh, r no, not Rounders, it's a different one. I don't yeah, know if I you know, remember that. You. Do you remember about. what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah. And, and, and there's a letter he reads out in court that came from, I think, the VP of claims from the insurance company, where the VP of claims write to this poor mother whose son is sick, terminally ill, and he writes to her the whole letter, and he says, they're denying her appeal, and then he writes at the end, you must be stupid, stupid, stupid. <sighs> That's right. Do you remember? I, I remember, this is, this is years and years ago. Uh, I, I remember this and it had such an impact on me. And you know, I know that, let, I've never seen a letter, by the way, from an insurance company that says that to a claimant or to a claimant's parent uh, or relative. But I can tell you, to me, it seems like when they are denying claims every single day to individuals who really need this money, who are clearly disabled, like Daniela here, I, it, to me, it seems like that's what they're saying. They're saying to you, you must be stupid, stupid, stupid by appealing to us because we're going to keep saying no, no, no. Yeah. So I want you to understand that this is not the best way of challenging the insurance company or forcing them to pay you what you're owed if, in fact, you are disabled. The most powerful way to do it is through the legal process because then you're taking the power out of the insurance company's hands. 
How do you do that? As soon as we start that legal claim and they have a defense lawyer assigned, someone like me on the other side, that lawyer tells the insurance company front and center what's going to happen if this ever goes to court. And these lawyers are usually very conservative. In other words, they're going to tell the insurance company you have a 50% shot at losing. You have a 70% chance of losing, 90%, 100%. You know, so this, this is where you get your leverage through the legal process. Because if the insurance company ultimately does not budge and you end up in court, which by the way, most of these cases never go to court, and they don't go to court because insurance companies don't want to take the risk of getting hammered by a judge. So you have to understand that this is where your leverage comes from. It's not from these appeals. There's no leverage in appeals. You, you are not, you, you're not forcing the insurance company to do anything. They can just simply, you know, they can simply deny, deny, deny. Now, I want to address something else, uh, John, here that Daniela wrote. She's concerned about work. And rightly so. Many, many people are concerned when they are off on disability that their employer will fire them. So let me, let me make this really clear. The law in the vast majority of jurisdictions in the country is that if an employer fires a person who's on disability or who's disabled, that yeah. is a human rights violation. It doesn't mean the employer can't do it. They can do it. But guess what? You'll be entitled to not only severance, but potentially human rights damages against the employer. And oftentimes when we get involved, before that happens, we can, we can, let's just say, educate the employer to make sure the employer doesn't take that step. And if the employer has taken that step, well, then there is that interplay we often talk about between employment law and disability law. Remember, if you're an LTD or you're entitled to LTD payments, and at the same time you get severance from your employer, in many situations, in many cases, the insurance company may be entitled to a credit for that right. severance. So this is where human rights damages come in because insurance policies, at least the ones I've seen, don't allow the insurance company to get credit for human rights damages. So that means that when we engage your employer, if in fact that happens, if they fire you, we can deal with the employer, but in the back of our mind, figure out a way uh, for how the employer can pay you what you're owed but with the insurance company getting as little as possible in their pocket so that more ends up in your pocket because at the end of the day, you need that money. Not the insurance company. They don't need this money. Not your employer. They don't need this money. You need this money. You are disabled. You can't work. So this is absolutely crucial. And, and Daniela, your last question, if you appeal again, will that stop my employer from firing me? The answer is no. It has nothing to do with what your employer is going to do. What's going to stop potentially your employer from firing you is us writing to the employer saying, don't dare. And the appeal, again, do not appeal. Do not, do not appeal. John, I'm telling you, every single day people contact me, people who have not heard the show before, or people who have heard the show before, and they tell me, look, I did not realize how right you are when you talk about how these appeals are nonsense. So please, please, before you appeal, before you appeal, just reach out to us. It'll cost you nothing to get the information you need. So at least you know what your options are and what your rights are. In that regard, we're going to take a short break and to us some more questions and emails as we uh, we roll on here. The number to call toll-free anytime. Keep it one 855 Website is disabilityrights.ca. You'll find links to our television show there. And to ask more questions, either email help at disabilityrights.ca or mydisabilityquestions.com. Right back. More coming up. Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. 
The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Disability Law Show is back, and thanks for hanging out. Uh, last few minutes of the show here, we'll get to some more uh, questions and emails. Uh, Shazia is up next, says, My husband has worked as a delivery driver for over 20 years. He had a serious injury last year that required surgery to repair his bicep. He's been off work ever since. He got short-term disability benefits from one insurer, but the long-term disability insurer is denying his claim. His primary doctor says that with a lot of rehab, my husband could attempt a return to work at some point this year, but for now has not medically cleared him. Plus, his work is refusing to take him back unless he's 100% better. Does it make sense that LTD Insure is declining his claim? No, it does not, Shazia. Absolutely not, especially since the doctors are saying that he's not ready to go back right. uh, to work. Uh, so, you know, this is this is really important. I mean, if the do- and by the way, the doctor is being reasonable here. The doctor is not saying never. The doctor is simply saying that if her husband, uh, you know, gets the, pr- the proper rehab and sufficient rehab, he might be able to return to work at some point this year, but not right now. So, so this is absolutely key because it shows the reasonableness of the doctor, right? Uh, now, this is a, this is an interesting situation here because we get this actually quite often, and it I think dovetails into what you asked me, John. You know, does short-term and long-term disability get paid by the same insurer all the time? Here, clearly, that's not the case. One insurer is paying the short-term disability, and the other the the long-term is through another insurer. But here's something you need to know. And I can tell you this just anecdotally from my experience reviewing tons and tons and tons of these policies uh, throughout my legal career. The test for getting short-term disability is virtually identical to getting long-term disability for the first two years. It's the own occupation test. Can you do the substantial aspects of your own occupation? So it's interesting to me that the short-term disability insurer here, in Shazia's husband's case, said, yes, we're going to pay you. We think you're disabled from working. And the LTD insurer take, took, you know, took the opposite view. And by the way, I have seen this exactly you know, uh, um, upside down. I've seen this where it's the long-term disability insurer who uh, agreed that the person is disabled, but the short-term never paid. The short-term disability insurer said, no, the person is not disabled. So, so you have this interesting situation where you have two different insurers applying the same test but coming to two different conclusions with respect to the assessment of whether the person is disabled from working. Here's why this is great for the disabled individual. Because when we get involved, one of the things we say, and we put it right front and center out there, is if this ever went before a judge, how would it look that one insurance company agrees that this person is disabled and you insurance company, second insurance company, disagree? Certainly, I can say, I think, it would severely weaken the position of the insurer that's denied the claim because the test right. that's applied is the same. So I love, you know, I really like it when I have situation where I have multiple insurers uh, dealing with the same issue, but one of them agrees that my client is disabled, whereas the other one does not. And I can tell you, without exception, every case I've ever had like that, the one who's denied the claim eventually comes around because they understand that they're going to get killed at court if this ever went. So, you know, Shazia, I think that, you know, what we do here is we get in touch with each other after the show. By the way, I commend you for reaching out to us on behalf of your husband. Again, John, this goes to my point that many listeners out there, it may not be relevant to them what we're saying. It may be relevant to family members, friends, 
colleagues and other people that they know. Uh, so please, please put the word out. We are here to help you across Ontario, across you know, across BC, and and soon enough, you know, I'll break the news. Soon enough, uh, in Alberta, we, we are moving into Alberta as well. There's a lot of need there with individuals who are who are disabled, especially you know. Again, with the whole uh, employment catastrophe that's happening there, a lot of psychological claims happening and people getting denied unjustly by their insurance companies. So again, Shazia, we can help your husband here. Uh, Please, 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 let's get in touch after the show and I'll tell you how we can do that. And I actually think we can resolve his claim fairly quickly. If you're looking at two appeals down the pike and nothing's happened, uh, has someone run out of time to pull a legal claim? Or it depends, I guess, how long the appeals take to return. Or, I mean, That's don't do it, it in the first place, yeah. but you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> I know what you're saying, and you're absolutely right in uh, sort of putting that caveat there. Uh, look, you know, the deadline you have to be mindful of is the second anniversary, uh, annual anniversary of your first denial. What does that mean? It means that if on January 1st, 2021, you are denied your long-term disability claim for the first time, you have until January 1st, 2023, two years later to start that legal claim. Now, some lawyers and, and some people out there will tell you, nah, there's some exceptional circumstances where maybe you can you know, file a claim, a legal claim after that two-year deadline. You do not want to be in that situation. Yes, there are exceptions. There are exceptions on the law. They're far and few between. They're very, very rare, and they're rare for a reason, because the legislature, right, our parliament, uh, the government that passes these laws, the courts, they want consistency, and they want uh, insurance companies, individuals, they want people to know where they stand. So you have that two-year limitation period. Now, when you get denied long-term disability, or even when you get cut off long-term disability, and you're told you're going to be cut off, be mindful of the fact that as soon as you know you're going to be cut off, or as soon as you've been denied your claim, arguably the two-year limitation period, that clock starts running. So, you know, if you've appealed twice, three times, four times, as long as you're within that two-year window, I can tell you, you most likely have a case. I don't see why you wouldn't have a case. Uh, In other words, to pursue legal claim. But, you know, what happens, John, if you've only appealed once, for example, but you you did that over a period of a year and then you sat on this for over a year and now you're over the two-year mark, well, guess what? You're out of time to start a legal claim. And and by the way, since we started this show years and years ago, I probably have been approached by quite a few individuals across the country who were not aware of this and have said, listen, I was cut off five years ago. I'm still on disability. Uh, you know, in, in other words, I'm still disabled. Sorry, um, can you help me? And I said, no, it's five years ago. I can't do yeah. anything. Unfortunately, there's. I, I'm not a. I'm not a magician. I'm good at what I do. Our lawyers are very creative, but we work within the boundaries of the law. Of course, that's really key to understand. We're very, very sort of by the book. We're creative. We are extremely strong advocates for our clients. We're very passionate about making sure that you know people are paid what they're owed, but we can't break the law. Uh, insurance companies should not be able to break the law, but insurance companies can't get, they can, can get away with not paying you if you wait beyond that two-year mark and if you don't start that legal claim within the prescribed timeline. In that, that, you know, in that situation, even if they owe you a million bucks, they're not going to have to pay because you're beyond that two-year mark. So be very, very careful. That's why I tell people, John, time is of the essence. Contact me or a member of my team if you have any questions. Again, costs you nothing to speak with us. Good way to wrap it for the uh, the show, pal. And we're going to leave you with some contact information in that regard. The number always toll free, one 855 
888-821-5900, website disabilityrights.ca. We mentioned uh, the TV show and a chance for you, or at least a place for you to find a link to catch the TV show, disabilityrights.ca. The email address we use on the show, you know by now, you may be sent one along, is help at disabilityrights.ca. And 24-7, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. That's absolutely free. You can ask your questions there. As I've been saying, there's a searchable database of questions previously asked, and you can look at those first, see if your question or one similar to it has been answered. If not, leave it there. The guys uh, the guys will get to it. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. This is Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.